0: Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to a continuation of this fascinating series about Isaiah 53. And uh, we've been unpacking myself and, uh, of course, our dear brother Anthony Rogers uh, a lot of uh, the parts of this passage. And uh, uh, Anthony did an excellent job to tie this to the gospel and also even pointing out that the message of the prophets of old in Old Testament uh, does correspond to the gospel message. Even Uh, The Aramaic translations of the Hebrew does point out to the gospel message, but how did Jesus uh, basically allude to Isaiah 53, and what about his apostles as well? And this will be the focus of our episode today. With us here remotely, our dear brother Anthony Rogers. Anthony, welcome back. Great to be back, Al. So, uh, I mean, there is so much to be talked about here, and uh, rightfully so. We can do multiple, multiple, multiple video episodes on this, and it could take us months and months, to be honest and to be fair. But um, just in the interest uh, of this particular short series, uh, you talked about the message of the prophets last time uh, in connection to the gospel. What about uh, our Lord Jesus and also the apostles when it comes to the message of Isaiah 53?
1: Yeah, so as you said, we've already seen this is the message of the prophets. It's found in all the prophets, Moses, Joshua, Zechariah, Jeremiah, uh, and we could have said more about each of those prophets and also included other prophets. Uh, But it's clear that that Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament read it that way. Uh, In Luke 24, Jesus talking to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, as you know, they were despondent because Jesus died, they didn't quite understand the necessity of him dying if he's the Messiah. They missed that part of the prophets. And so they're despondent, they're dejected, they're, they're going uh, on the road and Jesus comes alongside of them and he begins to talk to them and he begins to point out to them all these places in the scriptures where it indicated just this, that the Messiah had to suffer and die and then enter into his glory. And he, he tells them that this is what was written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the writings or the Psalms. So the whole Old Testament, Jesus tells them, was about this. So that's clearly the message of Jesus. But we we get even more specific statements regarding this that relate to Isaiah 53. Uh, Think about this, Al. I mentioned that the the section of Isaiah in which this falls in, this prophecy, is the New Exodus section that extends from Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 66. Uh, And and an even shorter section of that, it could be subdivided, is Isaiah 40 to 55. Well, In any case, that section, that second major division of the prophet begins in Isaiah 40 on a specific note. We quoted it before in a previous episode where it says, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, right? Or make ready the way of the Lord. Well, it's interesting that that passage is cited by all four of the gospels. All four of the gospel accounts begin by citing that beginning section of uh, this major section of the prophet Isaiah, showing that they believed that this was the time of fulfillment, what Isaiah was talking about is now being fulfilled, and so the the idea of a voice crying out in the wilderness they say is fulfilled in john the baptist he 's the voice preparing the way, and the one whose way is bring, being prepared is Jesus, Isaiah calls him Lord, which is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And the, the the gospel writers all apply this to Jesus. By the way, this shows that those who say the, the New Testament gospels don't all agree in saying that Christ is God, they're out to lunch. They all begin by applying this Old Testament text about Yahweh to Jesus. Jesus mm-hmm. is the one whose way was being prepared. Now, this is especially seen in Mark, uh, in, in certain ways at least. They all have their own way of bringing out this, but Mark begins his gospel with this. Uh, and he, he says, this is the beginning of the gospel, as it was written in Isaiah the prophet. And he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3. Well, later in Mark, this is also paralleled in Matthew. So Matthew emphasizes this too, but we're, we're told of the, the the fact that Jesus was going up with his disciples to Jerusalem, and he was walking on ahead of them, it says. And they were amazed, to quote the verse, uh, it says those who followed him were fearful. And again, he took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, behold, we are going to go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. So those who say he wouldn't die, again, Jesus is clear, right? Not only Isaiah who prophesied this, but Jesus is clear that he would die, right? But then it says this, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, this is later in the, the context because the, what I skipped over is that the, some of the disciples start arguing with one another about who's going to be greater in the kingdom, right? So they, they say this amazingly right after Jesus had told them that he's going to suffer and die, right? And they're over here busy talking about who's going to be greater than uh, the other in the kingdom. So Jesus, on the heels of this, calls them to himself, and he said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Now note that servant language. Jesus has just spoken of the fact that he's going to suffer and die his right. disciples start talking about who's greater. And Jesus is saying, That's not the way it should be with you. He goes on in verse 45 to give this is the punch. For even the Son of Man, that right. exalted figure mentioned in Daniel 7, who rides the clouds of heaven and right. receives all glory, power, and dominion from the Father, that exalted figure, this, he says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but, but served. to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Clearly, Mark, who already quoted Isaiah at the beginning of his gospel, is quoting Jesus here, who's echoing the prophecy of Isaiah. Jesus says that he's coming as a servant, he's coming to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is what Jesus taught, according to both Mark
0: and Matthew. Yes, yes, it's amazing indeed. Yeah, And, and,
1: and uh, unless you wanted to add something, there's no, uh, no, no. I mean, or no. I, mean, uh, I this, want to say,
0: <laughs> this is amazing, brother. Keep going.
1: Okay, yeah. So, so that's that's Matthew and Mark, because they they both have uh, a quote from Isaiah 40, and they both in, in, include this account of Jesus rebuking the disciples for arguing who's who's going to be greater. But but John has his own way of, of bringing this out, and it's really really powerful. Uh, it, it'd be great. Sometime you've talked a number of times already that we're going to do a number of episodes on a lot of this and going into it greater length. It'd be great to do that because I think just saying this is going to whet your appetite and other people's appetites uh, for, for a lot more. But John's gospel, remember how it begins. In the prologue of the gospel, which is like a window to the the book, you're supposed to, to look through this at the book and and it's it's sort of it's like a box top cover. If you're doing a puzzle, it's, it's showing you what it looks like when it's all put together. right? So the first 18 verses are like a snapshot view of the whole thing. This is what you should be looking for. It, it begins on the high note of Christ as the eternal word of the Father. Right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. But then in verse 14, it says, The word became flesh altogether unexpectedly, right, this word who's existed from eternity with the Father, and whom the text says created all things, it says, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, echoing the Exodus, by the way, where God says that he's abounding in in grace and truth. Well, uh, here you have, in a nutshell, the, the picture of our Lord's condescension. He's the eternal word, He's been with the Father from all eternity. He's the perfect expression and revelation of him. That's why he's called the Word. But he nevertheless condescends to become a human being. He takes on flesh. And why? I mean, the gospel, the whole thing is about why. He goes to his death. He takes flesh so that he might die and rise again for his people. But there's an there's a interesting way that this is illustrated for us in John's gospel that I think a number of people miss. And it's found in John 13. John 13 is that passage where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Remember uh, Jesus proceeds to wash their feet and Peter initially objects and he says, you know, Oh, well, if you're going to wash me, Lord, you know, well, first of all, he, he objects to being washed at all. And then Jesus says he has to be washed. And then Peter says, well, then not only my feet, but my whole body, Right. And then Jesus says, you know, only your feet. Right. He's he's illustrating something. And, uh, you know, Peter doesn't quite get it. But what is it that he's illustrating? Well, at the end of the account, he says, uh, after he had washed their feet and they're sitting at the table, he says this to them. Do you know what I have done for you? So this is the question that Jesus is pressing upon the disciples. This is the question that we should be asking ourselves as well. Do we know what he's done for us? Jesus goes on, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, in other words, if I served you, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Now, that already should tell you what this is about, that this is a picture of the Incarnation. But I want you to see what is so often missed, and that's how John sets this up. The the verses that start this chapter, that lead into the foot-washing account, listen to what it tells us was on the mind of Jesus when he did this. It, it says it twice, so you know that John wants you to realize this. This is how you're supposed to see this account. It says, 13.1, Now before the Feast of the Passover... Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he right. would depart out of this world to the Father. Right. Okay. So he knows he's about to leave this world and go to the Father. Okay. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Okay. Now it goes on during supper, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from the supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself.
0: Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message.
1: You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's CIRA International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to SiraInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason.
0: Yeah, it's almost like the gospel, uh, the, the cross message, you know, here.
1: Yeah, but but it, yeah, and it's 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 the incarnation, right? Exactly. It, it's yep. it's saying, this down. is what's
0: on his mind. Jesus knows
1: that he's come from the Father, right? He's come from heaven, and he's going back to the Father, And so, as if it were to illustrate this, he takes off his outer garment, Mm -hmm. right, and he puts upon himself a towel, which is the quintessential image of a servant, and he proceeds to wipe or wash their feet. What he's doing is he's illustrating the incarnation, his condescension, that he came into the world and took on him our nature. He set aside
0: the outward display of his royal splendor and glory, and he came in the role of a servant. Amen. Philippians 2, starting with verse 5. That's uh, the summary of all of that.
1: Yeah, and, and that's actually perfect. Uh, that's right where I'm going, right? Cle- clearly, this this is the message of Isaiah, right? This is the same message that Jesus taught in Matthew t- uh, 20 in Mark 10, uh, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the message of of John. It's also found in Paul. So people that like to dismiss Paul, they, they have no good reason to do so. The message of Paul was the message of Jesus, the message of Matthew, the message of Mark, the message of John, the message of the prophets, right? Here's what it says in Philippians 2. It's talking about the importance of people serving one another, not thinking that they're better than others. The same message that Jesus taught his disciples, right? That's what it's talking about in verses one through four. Paul is exhorting them not to do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit, but to be humble, right? He says, don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but the interests of others. And then he says this, he gives this great example. What example could be greater than this? He's exhorting them to humility. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, Mm -hmm. who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard that equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here already, Paul is clearly echoing Isaiah 53. He even calls him a servant and speaks of him dying and excruciating death, the death of the cross, the most horrendous form of death the ancient world knew. And we even, our word excruciating, Al, uh, it, it's formed from that word crucifix, right? Crucify right? Excruciating, crucifixion, right? right? But notice how it goes on. Verse 9, for this reason also God highly exalted him. Sound like Isaiah 52? Right. He will be highly exalted, right? And he bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. By the way, that's actually a quotation of Isaiah 45, the section in which Isaiah 52 and 53 are found. Clearly, Paul has Isaiah on the, on the mind here.
0: Amen. Amen. It's really fascinating. And, and indeed, you know, I remember one time when I was preaching from uh, John uh, chapter 13 uh, that some of the commentators were really zooming in on the actions of Jesus and tying it to Philippians, of course, uh, chapter 2, and alluding to Isaiah and the suffering of our Lord. Uh, keep going, brother. I mean, this is rich.
1: Yeah. So uh, I, there, m- many other examples can be given. Here's here's another from Acts chapter eight. I'll see how many maybe we can squeeze in here, or maybe we'll we'll comment on some of these in, in some greater detail than I've already done. But in Acts chapter eight, this of course being in the book of Acts is talking about the missionary activity of the of the disciples and uh, the early deacons of the church and so forth. And we're told about Philip that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, and he told him, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's sending him to a particular place. This shows that the Spirit is the one who directs the church in her evangelistic and missionary activity. The Spirit is the one who's seeing to it that the word of Christ is spread into the world. But it's, it's through his people that he's doing so, right? Remember, Isaiah says, blessed are the feet of them that bring good news. Here are the feet. There's some of the feet, right? Philip's feet are among those feet that Isaiah was talking about that would spread the good news. And the spirit here, the spirit that the Lord would pour out, uh, is revealing this to Philip through an angel, right? It says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, This is a desert road, it says. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So now notice this. Remember in Isaiah, we're told that this salvation that the servant would accomplish would also extend to the Gentiles. So here we're reading about a Gentile who's coming up to Jerusalem, and the Lord directs Philip through an angel to go to this man. It says, The man was returning and sitting in his chariot, and who who is he reading of all people? We're told that he was reading, but who was he reading? It says he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then, verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So he's telling Philip, this is a, a good message to all of us, by the way, he's telling Philip to go and intrude upon this man's peace. Correct, right? So many people think it's wrong for Christians to uh, go and, and talk to people about the gospel because it's like they're intruding in upon them. But these are matters of life and death. And here exactly. the Spirit... Tells Philip, go up and join this man in his chariot.
0: Yeah. And, and, right. and the guy, you know, uh, we're talking about someone who was doing religious activities. And I always point to people religion does not help you build a relationship with God because this guy did everything he was asked to do and he still doesn't understand what's going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's in. The, and, and, and also, we could say that he may well have not yet been privy to the events that had transpired. The events have a way of casting their light on. The prophecy, right? So here's this man, he doesn't get it. In fact, he's going to tell Philip, right? Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, well, how could I, unless someone guides me? So this man expresses what you're talking about. Presently, he doesn't quite get the message. In fact, this is what Isaiah said, didn't he? He said, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He mentions that people will uh, initially, at least, and, and perhaps some of them to the bitter end, but some uh, people would definitely be initially perplexed by this message. You know, what is this all about? And, and some would altogether uh, reject him and, and, and not believe. But this man is, at this point, not clear on what this is talking about. And the book of Acts goes on, verse 32, it says, now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? That's obviously a quote from Isaiah 53. And then Luke tells us, the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so here you have in the book of Acts a very clear example, along with the many others we've given, that this text was interpreted as a messianic text. And it was interpreted in all the ways we've already seen in this episode. He's a divine person, he's the Son of God he became a human being, he was righteous, he died, he died to atone for sin, he died to placate the wrath of God, to uh, be a sacrifice of atonement, right? All of these things are being taught by the prophets, I mean, by the apostles, right? They were already taught by the apostles, uh, the prophets. And so this is a continuous message from Old Testament to new, a continuous message, one message of salvation. That's why when we we talk about the gospel of Christ, some people think that we have four gospels, and while we may speak that way, it's more technically correct to say we have one gospel but four accounts. The actual superscriptions over the gospels that are in all our ancient manuscripts say, Mm -hmm. according to Matthew, according to Mark, the idea is it's one gospel, but it's according to this fourfold witness. So there's this one gospel, this one message that's preached from old to new. That's why Paul can say in Galatians 1, There is no other gospel. Somebody who preaches another gospel is guilty of high-handed effrontery against God and deserves his divine curse. But all those who believe this gospel, the the prophets, the apostles say, they will be saved.
0: Amen. Amen. Brother, we have about two minutes left. Can you tell people, uh, whatever the Lord puts in your heart, by way of application, what can they do? with this information that you have invested a lot of episodes here with us to share and pour your heart into it.
1: Yeah, really Acts chapter 8 carries all the punch that I hope this series will carry for people. There's an urgency that we need to preach and teach this message. Jesus poured out his Spirit, whom he procured by his death, right? It's on the basis of his finished work that Jesus procured the Spirit. We're told that having ascended into heaven, he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he poured him out upon his church. The Spirit comes to empower his church so that we might proclaim this good news. This is good news. The the message of the world is not good news. It's not gospel. The the message of pseudo-Christian groups, pseudo-Christian cults, whatever group it may be, if they don't bring this gospel of life and salvation, of free forgiveness, full pardon, through the guilt delivering death of Christ where he delivered us from our guilt and where he clothed us in his right if they don't preach this gospel that we're saved through the death and resurrection of this figure then there is no hope so we need to preach this gospel that's what Philip was doing the spirit directed him to do that the spirit is still directing his church to do that may we be found faithful uh, in doing so by the spirit
0: amen my brother and thank you so much of course and and everyone uh, if you've watched this whole series, and this is, I believe, episode number seven, you know by now how rich the book of Isaiah is, how rich Isaiah 53 is, evidenced by the fact that only the prophets focus on that message and affirmed it, but even our Lord uh, alluded to it. And have an allusion to it in the gospel. And the writers of the uh, New Testament made reference to it directly and indirectly. Explicitly and implicitly to show you how important that message is. And I say this because I want you to know that I promise you if the Lord wills for me and for my brother Anthony. That we will do a series of live streams where we will take our time, expand further on this message. And it will be a companion to this particular video series. And you can see why. Because it is extremely rich And I tell you, I mentioned earlier in one of the episodes that one of my projects at the seminary was to study Isaiah 54. And uh, guess what? I ended up with almost 80 pages just dissecting Isaiah 54 and how that ties into the outcome of the cross, which is celebration and joy. That's why we call it the good news. Brother, thank you so much as always. And uh, until we connect again soon, may the Lord richly bless you.